We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can check us out at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here with Andrew Mertig. Andrew, how's it going? Great. We're, like, at training camp or something? I don't know. (laughs) Time What's is a that? flat circle. I've, I've lost track of where I am. <laughs> the draft feels like it was four months ago. Um, but other than that, doing pretty good. I, I think some people will describe this as like the doldrums of the offseason. But for me, it's more of a, a great chance to get more in depth on the draft picks. Check out what's going on in the current roster. Uh, you know, last week we talked a little bit about the schedule. So there's some interesting stuff to, to fill our time when we have no other sports. Yeah, if you know Andrew at all and myself, you know that it doesn't take much to convince us to talk about the draft. We love the offseason and its implications, maybe just as much as the regular season. So um, we're here to embrace that tonight with another look at a specific part of this Packers draft. Uh, In the weeks leading up to the draft, we were joined by special guest Dan Dahlke to talk about the linebackers from this 2020 class. Dan did a deep dive on linebackers and running backs for the Cheesehead TV draft guide. And our plan was to have Dan come back for a second conversation this spring to get into the running backs in this class. 
But we ran out of Friday shows in the lead up to the draft, and we never had that chance. But as you probably know, the Packers did add a couple of running backs and a few linebackers to the Green Bay team, whether that was in the draft or as undrafted free agents. So we thought, who better to have join us post-draft now to talk about these linebackers and running backs that are now Packers and someone like Dan Dahlke, who has spent hours and hours pouring over these positions. So, Dan, we are excited to have you back, and uh, we want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the Pack-A-Day podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back, and like you said, it's an interesting offseason. There's no mini camps or anything, so it's nice to still find a reason to talk about football and maybe just keep looking at who they have and uh, kind of pouring back over some of their college film, and it's it's exciting. Yeah, so I get to ask the first question, and somebody that I absolutely loved in the pre-draft process was Boston College running back A.J. Dillon, but I think he came as kind of a surprise for a lot of fans, especially given where he was taken. So I know Dillon was one of the backs you watched for the draft guide. What what are your thoughts just overall on him as a prospect? Yeah, um, leading up to the draft, I actually wasn't as high on Dillon as a lot of other draft analysts. Um, I think I had him as a mid-round guy, like, you know, I thought he'd be a good value in the fourth round. And, uh, you know, they take him at the end of the second round. I actually thought that was, for me, that was the biggest surprise pick. I, um, the Jordan Love pick didn't shock me as much as other fans. But I was actually pretty shocked when they took Dylan at the end of round two, just because I didn't expect running back at all in the first few rounds, just given what they already have and just the needs at other positions. And um, the quarterback pick made sense, but the running back pick, I was a little surprised and surprised they went with Dylan. But, you know, given some time to think about it and kind of go back over some of my analysis on Dylan, I, I can see where they're going with it. And Dylan does give them something different that they don't have or they didn't have on the roster. You know, they don't, they don't have this big bruising back um, that, you know, since Eddie Lacy really, and I, the reason I'm, I'm, I really warmed up to the Dylan pick with some time is because now this gives them some choice some options on how to attack opposing defenses, they can now, you know, kind of dictate what they want to do. You know, maybe depending on the week or the opponent they play, they can be a ground and pound team or they can spread it out. Um, now they have a lot of different bats with different skill sets. And, you know, Dylan is exciting. And if you can get over the fact that he took a running back in the second round, you can really appreciate what he brings to the field. There's very few guys that run well at 250 pounds and he just you know his athletic testing like you guys have mentioned before um, on this podcast is our RAS score is amazing and I mean his Burton is just shows his Burton bra just shows his lower body explosion and he is a downhill you know kick your butt type of runner and he's going to bring some physicality to the Packers and that's pretty exciting and so there's a lot to like about Dylan my concerns with him and the reason I had him as like a mid-round guy is just because he does lack some of that lateral quickness that I value really high at the position. I had a guy like Zach Moss much higher than Dylan. Um, but, you know, Dylan doesn't have the injury history quite like Moss. And, you know, he it's hard to find a back that big that runs that fast. And so he does have some breakaway speed. And like I said, I mean, he's going to allow them to do something different uh, on the field. Yeah, I was going to I was just going to ask a follow up question uh, about sort of that, you know, it, how much wiggle is there to his game? And, and I think you, you answered that really well. But I was also wondering, what did you think of his ability to catch the ball? Yeah, I think that's an underrated ability. I didn't score him very high um, 
pre-draft on that. I know coaches and uh, Packer scouts have since come out and said they like that, his hands. And he does have good hands. You just saw so very little of it at Boston College. You know, their system was run the ball, run the ball. You know, um, they actually played against a, a stack box most of the time. And so that's interesting about, you know, Dylan's production is he runs over 1,600 yards against the stack box over 70% of his carries. So you don't see Dylan get a lot of opportunities to catch the ball or play in a spread. Um, the few times he do, he does show good hands, but I think there is some inexperience there as far as route running and like the nuances of pass protection. That was another reason why I had him ranked lower because I feel like that's where he's going to be, you know, he's going to need to be coached up quite a bit is the pass pro. I think his hands are pretty good though. Great. Thank you. So now that you necessarily adjust your grade for a player in hindsight, now that the Packers have taken Dylan, what we kind of do this, we, we justify picks and we try to find out what it was that made, I guess, our team, if we're talking about the Packers and our fandom, like this player so much. So I'm curious um, what it was about Dylan that made him the guy that they had to have in the second round. Do you think that that was um, a big Lafleur factor that played into this. What was it about Dylan specifically when we were really kind of surprised about maybe running back being a selection at all um, made Dylan that pick in the second round? Yeah, they must really, really like him if they're going to take him that that early because I think he can find decent backs in rounds four or five as we've seen uh, history show. But they must think he's like a very special talent, and I think picking him that high over other positions in need is they must feel very confident in, in what he brings. And I think if you look at his measurables, you have to start there. And I, we've mentioned it before, but, you know, people are going to compare him a lot to Eddie Lacy, but he's a much better athlete than Eddie Lacy. And so if we're getting anything close to what Eddie Lacy was like in his two or three good years, then that's quite the game changer. And maybe that's what they're, they're thinking is Jones offers a lot of versatility and uh, elusiveness, but maybe they need that hammer to go along with it. And Jamal Williams isn't quite that either. You know, he's a very balanced, decent back, but maybe they just needed that that bigger back to to run some more uh, power schemes and inside running. And and I I could see Dylan being a, like a late game guy, where you bring him in, wear out a defense, or if you have a lead and you want to put it away, he seems like a good closer. And I think you're going to see some creativity here with Dylan and Jones on the field together, and you're going to really put defenses in a tough spot because you could motion jones out into the slot and we even seen you know jamal williams bring some receiving ability so i think it's a smart i think it's a smart um move i i disagree with what round they took him in but that's like such a picky thing at this point um but i think he does offer something unique uh to the position for sure yeah, I really like what I saw out of A.J. Dillon before the draft. And so I was thinking kind of along with you, um, maybe I liked him a little bit more than you did, but yeah. that he'd be that potential steal maybe like in the fourth round, like you were kind of suggesting. Um, but obviously the Packers were not willing to wait that long. They really liked him as well and thought that he could be that kind of player. Um, people will debate the value of this pick, but I think Dillon promises to be a really fun player to watch develop and will really give the Packers Quite a powerful runner to utilize uh, who isn't short on athleticism either. I really like um, what you mentioned about the injury factor when you compare him with someone like Zach Moss. Uh, that's been a little bit of a trend we've seen with Brian Gutekinds that he uh, kind of favors these players with a clean uh, bills of health and those kinds of things. So a really interesting pick that I think you said, you know, we didn't really see it coming, but I think it'll be a fun one to watch develop. 
Yeah, I would just yeah. add real quick there that we're also, I've heard like this guy's just A plus character wise and very football smart. I think we didn't always catch that uh, just watching film as these amateur draft analysts. So they must have felt really good about that part of it to, to take him at that point. Absolutely. And, and I think A.J. Dillon is the rookie running back that everybody's going to be paying attention to. But the Packers also picked up running back Patrick Taylor from Memphis as an undrafted free agent. So uh, before we move past running back, what, what are your thoughts on Taylor? Well, I actually really like Taylor going into the draft. And I, I only had him a little lower than Dillon on my board, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, just shows how, you know, you can have these different perspectives on these guys. Um he uh, reminds me a lot of Jamal Williams. Uh, I think he has got really good hands, and I think he would have definitely been drafted if it weren't for some injury issues. Um, he he was pretty much derailed by injuries this past season. He had, um, yeah, that just really hurt his draft stock, and I think it did affect his testing. Uh, he did split carries for a while for a few years with uh, Darrell Henderson at Memphis, and then he kind of emerged in 2018, had some great production, had 18 touchdowns. He's just a very balanced back, very smooth runner, some great vision. He's in that zone scheme. He's played in a spread offense. Uh, they'd use him creatively. They'd use him as a, you know, in the wildcat, and he'd do read option out of the wildcat and uh, actually be making the reads. And then sometimes they line up in the slot. And if you ever want to see good film on him, watch the old Miss game from this last year. It was the first game of the season. He has a great game. He even lines up in the slot, runs a great post route, catches it deep down the middle. Um, he does a bunch of just really creative things, bubble screens, um, some jet sweep stuff. But then he gets hurt in that game. That's where he injures his knee, and it just affects him the rest of the year. So you see this guy with like a lot of great potential, but the injuries, I think, unfortunately, really derailed his draft stock. And, and you're running back with a knee injury, that's going to scare some people away. But I see a guy with really good hands, really good uh, potential third down ability, pretty good in pass pro. Now he's gonna he's got a really big uphill battle to make the roster. So you got Dylan and the, the two Williams and Irvin and Jones, and so he's gonna have to beat out Dexter Williams, which I think he could. But even then, will they keep that many running backs? I'm not sure. So I could see a potential like practice squad spot for him. And then next year, if they lose Jones and Williams, then you got Dylan and maybe Patrick Taylor developing behind him. And and I, I told Kyle earlier that I, I saw Patrick Taylor being like the ghost of James Starks and uh, <laughs> being on the practice squad and then making a big contribution late in the season. So That's just mark great. that down, Kyle. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and Jamal Williams is another name that we've tossed out on a previous podcast as well. Just some of those really solid, steady kind of uh, character traits. So we'll be really interesting, like you said, if they can sneak him onto the practice squad, let him develop a little bit. And uh, you mentioned, you know, if we were to lose um, the two-headed monster that we have now in Jones and Williams, nobody wants to talk about that, but it'll be really interesting to see if there's an opening and a place for him to grow into the roster, especially in 2021, if they're able to stash him for a year and those kinds of things. But I think there's a lot to be excited about um, with Patrick Taylor and the player that he can become. Um, when we had you on the podcast, 
back in March, we discussed probably over a dozen different linebackers in this 2020 class. Uh, we looked at the head of the class, of course, and Queen and Murray. But we also talked about some of the guys who could go on day three that you liked. Um, but in all of that conversation, Minnesota's Kamal Martin, the Packers' fifth-round selection, was not on the list. Uh, he was certainly a player that's flying under the radar for a lot of people and uh, obviously didn't come up for us. So um, what are your thoughts on Minnesota linebacker Kamal Martin? Yeah, Martin's certainly someone um, I missed on leading up to the draft. I think I like studied about 50 linebackers, and I, I put him in the middle of the pack, so I, I ranked him in like the low 20s because I got some exposure to him. And I actually, uh, first couple games I watched of him, I was watching his teammate Carter Coughlin uh, the edge rusher at Minnesota, and and Martin would flash a little bit. So then I tried to find some of his film, um, but again, he's he's hard to find a film on, and you know he didn't work out at the combine because of a knee injury. So you just really don't know what you're getting there. So I kind of put him in that late day three pack of linebackers, which there's so many of. Um, but you know after he got drafted, you know hunting down more of his film and watching more of his stuff, I do think there's some good things there to like. I'm still not sure about how big of an impact he's going to make in his first year or what kind of pro he's going to be. But also seeing what was on the board, I think that's I, – I can't think of any other linebacker in the fifth round that I thought would be a better fit. So I think it's a decent pick. Um, he's certainly being praised a lot by scouts. Like if you even think like Jim Nagy and uh, the Packers college scout Brandon Ross have talked a lot about his athleticism in space, his ability to cover tight ends. Um, they're talking about his play speed. And when I watched this film leading up to the draft, I only watched a few games. Um, I didn't see that. So, And then if you think maybe the, the knee injury is hindering some of his mobility, that would make sense. I did see some stiffness in his game. And if you do go back to some of his older film, you see a little bit more fluidity in space, which is encouraging. But he's, he's definitely, like, he has some exciting plays. He's a big hitter. He's physical. You can tell he loves football. He will slash and shoot gaps and be active along, around the line of scrimmage. That's what he brings to the table. I think he's more physical than what we've had previously at inside linebacker. The downside I see to his game is there's a lot of sloppiness, and he will leave his feet a lot. And as a coach, you tell your, you tell especially linebackers, don't leave your feet unless you have to. And it's fine if you're diving at a guy in pursuit, but when you're facing him head on, you don't want to be diving at his feet. And you see that all the time with Martin. A lot of missed tackles, a lot of whiffs in space. But then the next play, he'll make a huge hit that will get everyone pumped up on the team. You know, so it's, there's a lot of great qualities you see with Martin and a lot of downside. Um, so I think they're taking that risk, especially in the fifth round. Um, this guy's got some athletic upside. I wish, you know, as draft analysts and uh, – we could see the numbers, I guess, to compare him to the rest of the class. But he does flash some ability, and, and he, he has a really good first step. And that's one thing I liked about him on film is he, he gets downhill fast, and he reads, runs very well. He just needs to be more consistent at making the play when he arrives. So, And he's really, if you look at his stats in some of his films, he's missing on some impact plays. So I think he was only involved in seven turnover plays in four seasons. And you want to just see a little bit more impact play there. And so I would, as a Packer fan, it's like, hey, they drafted a linebacker and we want to think he's going to be the guy. But realistically, we have to say uh, maybe garner our expectations a little bit because it's going to even take some work for him to get ahead of Burks um, at the, <laughs> alongside of Kirksey at that starting spot. So, But I do like I 
do like some of his ability. It's just so raw at this point. Well, don't worry. Raven Green's going to be in the Pro Bowl this year. So um, <laughs> the Packers, I mean, so as fans, there was this gigantic perceived need at off-ball linebacker, and the Packers took one in the fifth round and brought in one as an undrafted free agent, and that was UCLA's Chris Barnes. So he's he's another guy largely off the radar, but is there anything that you've seen from Barnes that gets you excited about his potential development? Yeah, I mean, um, I watched... Yeah, I've watched a couple games uh, recently at Barnes, and this is going to be really controversial maybe, but there's like, I watched some of Barnes' film, and I was like, there's some things I like here better than Martin. And uh, <laughs> I know, it's kind of funny. It, it, he's quick, he's fast, he is small, he's like 6'2", plays in the high 220s. But I thought he looked really good in coverage, and, that, and it's in the Pac-12. I mean, this is a, a passing conference. And he uh, led his team last year in pass breakups with seven. He had six the year before. He's very fluid in space. I don't know why he didn't get a combine invite. And he also didn't get a pro day because of the quarantine and, and everything going on. Uh, but this guy, like you know, Chip Kelly raved about his leadership. He's a signal caller in the middle of the Bruins defense. So he's a smart player. And if you want to watch a good game on him, look up San Diego State from this last year. He is all over the place, 11 solo tackles. And you can just see him anticipating everything and being really good in pursuit and very solid tackler. Like, you don't see him miss very often. Um, the concern maybe is his size that he'll get caught up in the trash, maybe struggle getting off blocks. He actually reminds me a lot of uh, Joe Thomas, if you remember, like the nickel linebacker a few years ago yeah. on the Packers. Kind of a smaller, smart guy that plays hard and uh, a special teams guy that, and I think Joe Thomas is undrafted, right? Or, or at least a late-round pick. I'm trying to remember if he's on draft or a seventh-round pick. But he worked his way up the roster and eventually had to figure out a role on the team. I could see something like that with Barnes. Um, of all the undrafted free agent guys, I think Barnes has a really good shot at actually making the 53-man roster because of the need at inside linebacker and because of what he can do on special teams in year one. Definitely. So I was trying to look up Joe Thomas draft stuff, and all I'm getting is Joe Thomas offensive tackle. So this is oh, not yeah. helpful. <laughs> I, I, I know the Packers signed him off as somebody else's practice squad. Right. I, I'm yeah. not sure if he was drafted or not. I, but I, I, one of the things you know, I always think about the the Packers the year after they drafted Rodgers, they take Brian Brom in the second round, they take Matt Flynn in the seventh, and it's it's Flynn that ends up being the guy, right? But who cares? I know people get really caught up with this whole draft bust or wasting a draft pick or whatever, but it's like if Chris Barnes is a better player than Martin is, I I don't care if he's a draft pick. Like you you, you just go with the guy that's better. And and this this year especially with so many uncertainties about pro days and and the lack of participation at the combine and um, everything else that you know wasn't there and and how hard it was to to find undrafted free agents I think we're going to see more of that players that maybe teams would have caught on to previously you know in previous years that they they missed out on and now they're going to make the team over some of the late round draft picks yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting Like um, that this is a player that was not drafted. When you look at some of the stuff coming out post-draft, the coaches raved about this guy's work ethic um, as a teammate and all those kinds of things uh, that Dan has mentioned a little bit. 
I think this guy is going to be that guy that fights for core special teams, those kinds of things. He just seems like a guy you want on your roster. So uh, probably a big win to get as an undrafted free agent. And then, of course, we have to mention uh, the Jordan Love connection because, of course, the Packers are stocking this roster with people who want to hang out with Jordan Love because no one else is want, going to want to hang out with him uh, because of the controversy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but we do know that uh, the Barnes was a high school teammate of Jordan Love's. And that that played a, maybe a little bit of a factor in his choosing the Packers, but he said that this was a great fit for him, regardless of Love being there. But a uh, pretty pretty cool story there that those two are reunited in Green Bay. But um, linebacker is this interesting position overall for the Packers, and I have to ask this question because I'm curious just to get both of your reactions. The Packers have been traditionally allergic to taking linebackers high in the draft, really since taking A.J. Hawk in the first round in 2006. There were a lot of people who thought that that tradition might change this year. They could have taken Patrick Queen at 26 with that trade-up or someone like Malik Harrison in the third, but instead it was that high upside developmental prospect, Kamal Martin, we talked about, that was taken in the fifth. And so I'm curious just to get your thoughts. Why do you think the Packers seem to not value the linebacker position in the early rounds of the draft? Or do you think it's really just coincidental over the years that they haven't taken one high really in, I guess, almost 15 years? No, I, I don't think it's coincidental. I think it reflects their philosophy on how to build a roster and where they want to spend money eventually. Um, I think they view early round guys as these are going to be their expensive players eventually if they work out. And they're just so obvious that they don't want to spend inside linebacker and it's it's different than other teams i mean i study linebackers every year for the draft guide and every year i just know that the guys that i'm, I'm really enjoying watching the packers are not going to take them early in the, <laughs> early in the draft <laughs> i've gave up that uh fantasy a long time ago especially like two years ago when they passed on tremaine edmonds and leighton vanderesh i was like oh man um but yeah th- i just know that I would have been shocked, I'll say this, if they would have picked linebacker in the first two rounds. And I was actually really hoping for, for that in round two, especially with my guy, Logan Wilson, still on the board. And then he goes to the Cincinnati a few picks later at the top of the third round. So that, that just kills me. But, <laughs> um, but I think it's just their philosophy. And I think it also shows that how specialized the game is. Um, there's just very few off-ball linebackers in college that can do it all, that can cover that can be really great against the run, that can play in pursuit. And it's all about speed now, and you have to get those guys early. You have to get them in the first few rounds, and it seems like every time the Packers have a chance to, they value another need or something else um, over a linebacker. And I don't blame them in the first round passing on Queen because they're trying to secure the quarterback position. The puzzling one was round two with like Willie Gay and Logan Wilson and Willie Harrison still on the board, and they go, they go running back. Yeah, and I, I think I would just echo a lot of those thoughts. You know, there there's a perception around the league about positional value. Off-ball linebackers is one of those positions that tends to get uh, deprioritized. Ironically, running back, too, when, when the Packers yes. take one in the second round. But I, I think, you know, you're, you're just seeing a team philosophy played out. So what we see as fans is there's a lack of playmaking at the linebacker position. And we're frustrated watching A.J. Hawk and Jake Ryan and, um, you know, Desmond Bishop and whoever else running around, uh, maybe not being as good as, as some of the other elite linebackers that we see around the league. But, you know, Kyle, when, when you and I looked at this earlier in the offseason, 
about half of the the really elite off-ball linebackers in the NFL were picked in round one, and a lot of them were taken later. And so there is value outside of that. Um, it's just hitting on it. And, and really, I mean, I, I don't remember the last time the Packers had an elite off-ball linebacker. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, Maybe it's Nick Barnett of. for like a season yeah. and yeah. a half. First round pick, Barnett. But uh, it, yeah, it's 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 been a while, and so it it's pretty clear that the organizational structure just doesn't value the position very highly. So I want to give Andrew just a little bit of credit on this. That I'm sure he's just dying to give himself, but he's restraining I do love himself. Taking credit for things. <laughs> but throughout the process, we kind of talked about okay, we've had added Christian Kirksey, and that's your addition. You know, he's the seasoned veteran that they'll probably have in the middle of that defense. And then we went back and forth on are they going to add a second guy? in there and did they need that and we talked about Petten's philosophy and would he prefer to have a second linebacker that could be on the field most of the time and Andrew kind of held his ground and said he didn't think so and that like this is something that he really felt like Petten's good with having one guy and then flexing in someone like Oren Burks or something like that in this coming year on certain downs but really that one guy was kind of going to be the setup and I was kind of like convinced that well maybe they need that second guy and they just haven't had a good second guy but here we are and it seems by all accounts the Packers have kind of bypassed that again and we are kind of going to look at maybe what you know Aaron Andrew joked about getting some Raven Green snaps as that dime linebacker look but uh, credit to Andrew as much as it pains me to to stick to that and say that this is what he thought was going to happen. Yeah, well, and two things to to echo the great point that you just made about the great point that I made previously. <laughs> um, and and I don't think Mike Pettin has really had two really good off-ball linebackers since David Harris and Bart Scott with the Jets. And so he's been living with it for a while. And so maybe, you know, he, he's cool with that personnel. Maybe Brian Gutekunst just doesn't care um, what McPetton's preferences are. I, I don't know, you know, without being in the room. Um, but the other thing is, when Raven Green was playing awesome in week one, Aaron Rodgers said, we have a defense. And then Raven Green got hurt, and then we didn't have a defense anymore for a while. So, you know, he's probably the key to the whole thing. It's all about Raven Green. That's what we've learned here tonight or today. I don't have Kendall Donerson <laughs> anymore, so it's got to be Raven Green. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's shift gears here a little bit. I also want to mention the Packers' tendency with running backs um, when it comes to the draft, there's a lot of wisdom out there that says taking running back high in the draft is a mistake and that you can get production from running backs in the late rounds. We've seen the Packers benefit from this with guys like Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, especially recently uh, getting selected there on day three. But at the same time, the Packers have shown a willingness to take a certain kind of running back relatively early. They took Eddie Lacy there in the second round with the 61st pick in 2013. And then, of course, A.J. Dillon this spring with number 62 there in the second round. Both these guys are big backs uh, with pretty good athleticism. Um, and let Eddie Lacy's prime, we really enjoyed him running through people, but also having the ability to show off that circle button spin move that he would feature from time to time. Um, why do you guys think the Packers have shown a willingness to pick big running backs early, and do you think picking running backs early is worth that investment? I'm just curious, uh, Andrew. What do, what do you think? There, you know, this is a super tough question, right? So the Packers took Eddie Lacy in the second round, and I believe that year Le'Veon Bell was also a second round pick, and 
Monte Ball, maybe if I'm remembering this correctly. Um, so you know you can you can find value. You can get some of the better running backs early. Um, we've seen a little bit in the buck of the or a buck of the trend with Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley, but largely I think the value for running backs is typically in the second round. So if you want somebody, if you think that they're going to be um, a really good talent, that that's a good way to go. Now. Are the Packers maybe a little bit more desperate because they see on the horizon Jones and Williams potentially walking next season? You could argue so, but um, I, I do I do like the the potential there. Um, I even as much as I loved AJ Dillon, I didn't have him as a second round prospect. I thought end of the third might I'd be comfortable with if he snuck into the fourth. That's awesome, but. That was really interesting where they took him, but I, I don't think that that's a problem. My, my one hope for A.J. Dillon is that, number one, he learns to tuck his undershirt into his pants, unlike Eddie Lacy, because <laughs> that always bothered me, and defenders were constantly ripping at his shirt. And uh, number two, we're going to try to keep him away from curls. <laughs> I should probably be mature and transition us here, but I'm laughing. Uh, Dan, do you have any thoughts on the positional value at running back? Yeah, it's it's interesting because when I evaluate running backs, I tend to maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking of it wrong because I tend to give a lot of credit to guys who show receiving ability, who have some scoot, who have some speed. Um, I think I feel like that's the future of the NFL. You look at like Elvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey and guys who can play out in space, you know, Aaron Jones. But I think what we're seeing is there's maybe just so many of those guys now. Um, you know, even if you look at who went after Dylan, you got Zach Moss and Darrington Evans and Keyshawn Vaughn and Anthony McFarlane. Those guys all kind of do similar things. So maybe their thinking is a, a traditional old school back with some breakaway speed and size is harder to find nowadays. Because uh, if you look at college football, there just just aren't that many. You had Jonathan Taylor and A.J. Dillon as guys that are just going to beat the crap out of you and, and run the ball 20 times and not be worn out and um, still stay relatively healthy. And so maybe that's maybe that's where that shift is happening is to find a back that can still run that old traditional like role. Um, it's just harder to find. So maybe that's why they felt like they had to take him in the second round because if they miss on him, maybe there isn't another guy that can really do that you know, until way down the board. And so that's kind of maybe when, um, the thinking there is, is that just there might just be too many guys that can can do what Jones and Williams can already do or, or fill, fulfill that role. So I, may, I think it's just the market. I think it's just an example of the market of, of what's out there coming out of college football. Yeah, I really like this pick in hindsight if Jones sticks around. If it's a move to replace Jones, then I feel like it's a totally different conversation. But, man, if their plan is to pair those two, uh, that could be really, really fun for a long time. And they obviously do have big plans for A.J. Dillon, whether that's in 2020 or down the line in 2021. You just don't spend that second-round pick on a player um, without some pretty big plans in mind. So it'll be really fun to watch that plan come together. Um, and I will just say that number 28 is going to look pretty clean, I think. That's a big factor. You know, If he had chosen something like, I don't know, 40 four or something like that i think i'd be a lot more skeptical but with 28 i feel i'm feeling pretty good about aj dillon um, that's james stark's number i know I, I had Najee davenport in mind actually when i said that which is probably not fair either but um 
we do want to say a big thank you to Dan for taking the time to join us uh, today and talk running backs and linebackers. Uh, before we let you go, why don't you just go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter? Oh, yeah, my Twitter is just at DanDalkey86. And, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's the only social media I have out there right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure right. you uh, definitely give Dan a follow there on Twitter. He uh, puts out some great content. And thanks so much again for taking time uh, to talk with us and join us on the Pack-A-Day podcast. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, and seriously, a gigantic thank you. I always love having guests on, um, especially because the guests we choose always teach me a lot about what's going on, if it's specifically about the the players that the Packers drafted or um, different prospects or just like how to evaluate uh, draft prospects in general. So this has been really fun, um, but that's all the time we have. And this has been the Packer Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Please remember to also follow at Packer Day Podcast. Subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We'll be back next week continuing our conversation about the offseason. And we're going to have another very special guest, so tune in. Um, Thanks for listening. And as (laughs) always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.